It's my first lab European convention, absolutely, and, I, and especially European. It's my very first European convention. I've been to labs before, but I haven't been to a labs European combined, so this is pretty cool. Because you coach all over the world. You've, you've coached all the choruses that we have ever heard of, most of the quartets as well. Uh, we've seen a lot of your work on stage, but when did you, you realize that you had a talent for this sort of thing? Probably about 17 years ago, I actually quit my real job and decided I was going to barbershop and coach for a living. And my dad said, you're going to do what? You know, he said, you can't make a living at barbershopping. And I said, well, I'm just going to go have fun. So I started coaching about 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Um, but I've done, been doing it full time for 17 years. That is amazing. It's was you, was scary. It's not amazing. It's scary. It's, uh, well, uh, it may scare you. I think it impresses most of us. But is, is your, was your dad a barbershopper? My father was a barbershopper, still is, at uh, the ripe age of 84. He's still actively singing. Just went to a convention with me last weekend. And uh, my mom was a sweet Adeline. She's still, she's not active in that. My grandfather was a barbershopper in one of the very first choruses in Michigan. So I'm a third generation barbershop brat. So, so you, you, you grew up with it all around you. When I, yeah, when I, was, when I was little, I used to hear it every night when my father would have rehearsals at our house. So when you come to meet a new chorus, do you have any preconceived ideas about them? Or, and if not, how do you get to know them? Well, it's interesting because nowadays we're looking at branding with choruses. You know, choruses have an identity now. In the past, we tried to have all of them look exactly the same. So it's hard, you know, we used to have preconceived ideas. Could they do a certain level or certain things certain ways? But nowadays, we're looking at branding because you've got choruses from, well, some of them that are here, Zero Eight and Amersham and, you know, and Great Western all have different personalities. So the goal is to find the personality and make them great at who they are. And where does that personality come from, do you think? Some of it's from the director, but a lot of it is from the community and the area that they come from. So choruses that are from a little bit more feisty areas have a, you know, a more exciting kind of personality. And those that are from a, a more conservative area will have, you know, more conservatives, you know, kind of personalities and, and the way that they choose their music. And I suppose every chorus has a, a, a different level of ability as well. We, we, we're not always all good at the same things. No, and actually that's what's wonderful is that no matter what level you sing, you can be part of this community, which is awesome. And we don't expect everybody to compete. There's only one winner every year at a contest. But there are thousands of champions across the world who are changing lives by the music that they use. And I think that's what makes this hobby even more amazing. So how does a chorus then find its brand and how does it exploit that to the hilt? Well, I think they have to, the first thing I ask people to do is to define what are the four or five words that define you as a chorus? Are you exciting? Are you classy? Are you passionate? Are you energetic? You know, different words. And some of them are fresh, unique. And when you take those words, then you go, how do we find music that's fresh and unique? How do we find music that's classy? And then you build that around it. And then you add your costuming. And all of a sudden you have a brand. And does that mean that everybody has to go 
high stepping and, 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 and kicking and moving their arms uh, in, at exactly the same time in exactly the same fashion because I must admit as somebody who stands there in a chorus and perceives myself as having two left feet and no sense of coordination that's the kind of thing that really scares me absolutely not you're absolutely right and it does scare a lot of people and I think we used to see choruses do that all the time and it actually scared people away because they go I can't do all of that nowadays we do theatrical performances we do things that are staged and blocked where you can sit at tables like you're at a cabaret and you can win with contests having even not a lot of choreography but a great performance plan and there's a big difference between what we used to call choreography and what we now call performance and that's what I think it wraps its arms around every individual that has the chance to be part of barbershop. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about because that change came around two or three years ago. How has the change in the scoring uh, from presentation to performance, how, how has that affected what we do? Well, actually, the scoring in performance is looking for more real, more honest, more genuine delivery of music and delivery of the song. And what we used to do is we used to identify how accurate were these moves and how precise did they do these moves. And we're, you know, we used to take tape measures from the floor up and make sure when you put your hand out to do a barbershop spread, your hand was the exact exact same height across the entire front row. Now what we look for is what is honest for you, what is genuine for you, what is believable. And when we get those words, the scores go higher and higher and higher. And obviously for each individual it's going to be a little different. Are there cultural differences as well? As you travel around the world, is, is it, are there differences between, say, a Swedish chorus, a Spanish chorus, a German chorus, a British chorus, an American chorus? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's great. Also, in America, it's different whether you're in New York or you're in California, or whether you're in Florida in the South, or whether you're in the North and the Midwest. Everything is very different. What's exciting is that each culture brings new and exciting opportunities to the barbershop world. It, you know, when you're in England, there's a little bit of a formalness that comes with an English presence and everybody laughs at us and says you know we're not that formal and I said oh yes you are compared to what we perceive you to be and what we see looking in from the outside so when you travel across the world you get a chance to see different cultures different personalities and different willingness to come out of your shell or to be a little bit more conservative and that's what makes this really exciting is this this style of music lends itself greatly to all those different diverse you know cultures so if you are a, a little diffident a little more conservative perhaps you can you can find a song that matches that absolutely absolutely and if you and finding songs that are more traditional if you're a little more conservative, finding songs that are a little more heartfelt and a little more genuine, you know, Let Me Call You Sweetheart, what a, what a traditional great barbershop song can be done by a Midwest chorus who's very conservative versus maybe having to do Putting on the Ritz by something that's in, you know, New York feel or Broadway. You get the same thing with the Swedes, man. Those Swedes, they're not very shy about anything. I, I even use the term when I coach, be like a naked Swede underneath your clothes, you know? <laughs> Because <laughs> Swedes aren't, you know, they're pretty out there and, and willing to do just about anything, and I think that's exciting. And none of this gets lost in translation. That's right, I, exactly. I trust. <laughs>
in, in, you mentioned Broadway there, and I'm just wondering, do you, do you, do you hang around theatres? Do you hang around Broadway looking for ideas? You know, that's, that is my joy in that. Every time I see a musical, every time I get to see a performance, but not just on Broadway, community theatres, all the local productions, and you know what's best is children's theatre. When you go in and watch kids dance at a recital, you find some really simple creative moves that kids are capable of doing, then I can probably get my father, who's 84, to do that same kind of move. So I am constantly watching everything from cheerleading competitions, believe it or not, to pom-pom, to dance routines, to hip-hop, to Broadway, any place I can get fed. And then I say, how can I adapt that to a singing voice? Because we don't just dance. We're a primarily a singing organization, and while I do performance, the biggest part of what we do is sing. So how can we do movement and staging that supports the singing? And when you see Broadway, they do that better than anybody. So if I were to ask you to look back over your 17 years at the various routines that you've, you've, you've prepared and that you have put into to, to practice with choruses, is there something that you, you look back on and say, Wow, that that was the that was the apogee of my powers. That 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 was that was that was the best idea I ever had. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I have one that stands out all the time, and that's Joshua with the vocal majority. That was probably a signature moment. I woke up in the middle of the night and thought of it, and I called Jim Clancy and I said, you know, I know you've always sung Joshua without choreography, but I said I have a visual plan that was given to me in a dream in the middle of the night, and it is they've had that in their performance repertoire for probably 12 years now and it's still iconic that was one that changed what we do as far as uh, visual plans go or it changed what I do and were they in and completely on board with that from the beginning or did you have to persuade them I did not have to persuade them it that was one of the quickest plans I ever put in it went in in less than two and a half hours in a morning session, we put that in, and by the afternoon, they were running it top to bottom. It was one of those that fit them so well, and it fit the music so well, it just meshed it at a really high level quickly. And if you want to know what we're talking about, you should really go to YouTube and have a look at that. But, but, but in the future, um, are there things that you still want to do that you haven't done, things that you want to achieve with choruses that you haven't done? Oh, i got to tell you, I can't wait for us to... I've actually been pushing for the Barbershop Harmony Society to start this, where they will mic the stage overhead like they do in theaters, so that we are not limited by quartets or choruses standing in a specific formation around a single microphone. I have so many ideas that are expanded when you don't have to limit yourself to standing in front of a single microphone. They started that a little bit this year where they added two outside microphones, if you happen to watch that, and they actually said you can move out and put soloists on the outside mics. And I said, but wouldn't it be great if you just mic'd us from the ceiling? like they do in Broadway theaters, or mic us on the floor and say, inside this block area, you will be picked up in sound. And no longer do we limit ourselves to a, a specific you know, microphone or position we have to stand in, especially when we're looking at performances that are supposed to be bigger than life. Wouldn't that change, though, the entire aspect of Barbershop? For a start, the, the risers, presumably, would become redundant. I know. I, a few years ago, I got in trouble because this was back when the international organization was asking you, how many risers did you want? Remember, we used to change the configurations. And when they asked and they called and they said, I know you're working with the Phoenicians, uh, how many risers would they like? And I said, none. 
None at all. None at all. And they, their, their mouths dropped. They said, well, you have to have some. And I said, well, you asked how many, and we don't want any. We wanted to bring our own staging on. And I said, if the rules were you can't hold up the timing of the convention, and you ha must leave the stage exactly the way you found it safe. I said, and we could do anything inside of that. Imagine the creativity that would be exploded on our stages. I can imagine just what creativity <laughs> would, and I can also imagine that it must be quite a difficult selly. Uh, do, do you think they're actually going to do it, or do you think they're going to draw a line here? You know, it's funny, because I've talked about things for years, since I've been barber shopping for quite a long time, and it takes about five to six years, and then something starts to change. So you have to drop these, you know, little ideas in and talk to them, and it's interesting. I just sat next to Marty Munson, and I said, have you ever thought about, and I'm not going to give it away, and he went, are you kidding me? And I said, no, I'm just planting the seed. And he went, I love that idea, but how do we do it? And I said, I've got it all figured out. And he's like, are you kidding me? So I, it starts with planting a seed and then we see where it goes. So these seeds of inspiration are being nurtured as we speak. As we speak, we're trying to push the envelope. Cindy, it's been great talking to you. Welcome once again, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend here at Labs in the European Barbershop Convention in Bournemouth. And um, continue to dream, continue to bring us those fabulous routines. Thank you very much. I'm having a blast.